the um, the mind blowing thing about what I'm getting ready to talk about is that God loved us with an unconditional love before we could ever reciprocate that love to anybody on the planet. He taught us how to do it. I want to preface our conversation today with the, with a something that I think I'll make everybody happy. I'm not talking about money. I mean, I can if you want. We always come at the idea of generosity through the lens of financial um, giving. That's the way everybody talks about it. When you talk about being generous, you always talk about it in light of money. And um, I think that's what they would call in business world a lagging indicator of whether you love people or not. You're not generous because you give money. You're generous because you love first. Amen? Jesus loved you before he, before he could give you any money. It was, it was the love of the Father that even sent him here to be able to provide for us. So we're going to talk about generosity outside of the bounds of finances. But I think, here's what I think. I think people who are generous with love are automatically generous with finances. Okay, that's so, so what concerns me, like we, we, have, we have a core belief here that we're not gonna, that we're not gonna just hound people about, about money. Why would, I, why would we do that? So you see Skip get up here and he says, hey, if you wanna be generous when you leave, great. Because here's what we believe. If we love one another, if we love our neighbors, it turns into all kinds of generosity. Because the definition of love is being, is being generous with all these things that we'll find out. So we're not going to talk about money today. We're actually going to talk about how money can maybe give you a false sense. So we don't talk about money that often here in the church. And yet in 2020. During a pandemic, we had the best financial year this church has ever had. Yeah, it's crazy. Crazy. And I was talking with, with somebody here in leadership, and they were they were telling me last year they were uh, they had taught financial peace a couple times, and and, um, and and we've taught financial peace here for how long? Fifteen years, 10, 15 years. And and what we started to realize was. Some of you know what financial peace is, and it's, a, it's like a 12-week program to get you out of debt, to get you financially stable, all those things. What we started figuring out was the cost to go through that program started becoming a little much. So this person came to me uh, towards the end of last year and said, hey, he said, I, I'm not, I don't want to do this because so people just give more money to the church. That's not a good reason to do this. He said, I want people to not have so much stress in their lives. I want people to be able to go on vacation. He said, I want them to be able to save for college for their kids. I want them to be able to, to not wake up every morning wondering where it's going to come from. I want us, I, he said, I want us as a church, as a people, to, to be able to handle money the way God intended us to handle it. And he said, and the generosity will come in, as a result of all that stuff. He said, that's not the core reason why I want to do this. So he said, Chris, I think we should just give it away to everybody. Me and you. 
Ain't nobody else in the room. We're going to do this, all right? And I, I listened to him, and it was at a heart of generosity that he even said it. And so I started thinking how, how amazing that could be. So in the, we're launching a connect group season now, but in the spring connect group season, we're going to give that away to everybody in the church. Now, here's the kicker. Here's what I, here's what I think could happen. If you have relatives that are struggling financially, if you have neighbors that are struggling financially, if you have people you work with that are struggling financially, why wouldn't you invite them? And just say, hey, this thing would normally cost you 130 bucks and you'd have to figure out where to get the money. To, if, you, if, you will, if you will jump into the church, uh, should we make them come three times before? No. If you just come with me, you could walk through this. And what you can tell them up front is he's not going to pound you about giving, about donating to the church. You can't tell them that because of coronavirus, we've, we've given a tithe discount. We're like seven and a half percent now. That's a joke. True story. I was talking to somebody uh, a couple years ago and they said, they said, I haven't been to church in 30 years because all the church wants is your money. And I looked at him, and it was somebody a little bit older than me. I looked at him and said, I said, you know, I got to be honest, we're up to about 20% tithe now. And, um, and, and they just looked at me like, I said, come on, care about that. We're going to talk about generosity. I believe the way the gospel teaches us to be generous. Stand to your feet. We're going to read John chapter 13. We're going to read two scriptures that say exactly the same thing. Jesus is speaking in both of them. John chapter 13, verse 34. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Then we skip down to John chapter 15. Starting in verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, as someone laid down his life for his friends. Father, we thank you today. We pray, Lord, that we'd be people that were so generous towards each other with love, it would shock our communities. It would shock our friends and neighbors that don't, that don't believe in you. They'd, they'd realize there was something different. God, we pray that love would flow out of us the same way it has flowed into us from you. Without reservation, without, without measure. Lord, we thank you that you loved us first and showed us what it looked like. Help us to do that and do it well. In Jesus' name we pray, everyone said, amen. You may be seated. So in John chapter 13, he begins the narrative of the Last Supper. Jesus eats with the disciples and he takes off his outer garment and he begins to wash their feet. Judas has already decided to betray him. He's already made the deal. We have the little dialogue between Jesus and Peter when Peter says, you're not washing my feet. And Jesus says, I have to wash your feet, Peter. 
and they have this little back and forth and then Peter gets in line. Jesus takes a towel and he washes all the disciples' feet. He was the image of a servant. During that last supper, he tells them in John chapter 13, I want you to love each other like I have loved you. I want you to love each other like I have loved you. The love you've received from me, I want you to now love each other. And he says, if you will do this, everybody will know you're my disciples. How you love each other will tell people that you are with me. Then we, then we skip down to John chapter 15 and Jesus is still teaching. In John chapter 15, he starts to talk about, I'm the vine, you're the branch. At the beginning of that chapter. And he says that basically everything that you need, you get from me. Everything, if you're going to give love, you have to get it from me. He says, if you're connected to me, you, you will have everything. But if you're not connected to me, you can't, you can't produce anything good. He didn't say you couldn't produce it. You could produce stuff. See, plenty of people produce evil. But he said, being connected to me lets you produce what I've giving, given you. And so here, here's what I know about me. I know that I can tell, I can tell the way, how much time I've spent with God is shown by how I treat other people. All right. So I got to tell you, we just started fasting today. This is why Jesus says, hey, listen, when you're fasting, act like you're not. Don't be waking up cranky because you didn't get your coffee. Don't, don't be short with people. Don't, don't walk around like you're, like you're the best because, well, I'm fasting. No, he said, take a shower. By the way, that was weird to me. Like, why wouldn't you just stay clean? No, he said, get up and act like that's not happening because, just because, because wouldn't it be ironic if something that I was trying to do to cause me to draw closer to God made me be more nasty to other people? Wouldn't that be crazy? What's wrong with you, man? I'm fasting. What do you guys do that for? So me close to Jesus. So hopefully at the end of this three weeks, I'll stop treating you like a jerk that you are. Yeah, you go ahead and keep fasting, bro. To straighten up your attitude tomorrow, though. Isn't it weird that we would think like that? So Jesus says, hey, man, when you're, when you're doing a spiritual discipline like fasting, keep loving people in a way that they don't even know you're fasting. Treat people in a way they don't even know you're sacrificing something, that you're not eating what you like or any good food for that matter. So he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. So he's connected. We have to be connected to him. And here's what I know. There's no chance of me loving like Christ without being connected to Christ. That's an impossibility. I can't give something away that I haven't been given. And so Jesus paints the picture that you have to be connected to unconditional love before you can give out unconditional love. There's the, the, you can't do it. You can't muster up enough. I know there's some nice people in the room, but you're never that nice. So Jesus says at the beginning, you have to be connected to me. Then he says, repeats what he said in chapter 13. He says, you're connected to me. That's our relationship. And then he said, the way you treat each other now the relationship between you and me, the relationship between us and in our families. And he says, if you're connected to me, then I want you to love each other. As I've loved you. Then he talks about the relationship to the world. 
He says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Okay, this is important. We'll get to this here in a little bit. So Jesus in John chapter 15 talks about how we can love each other if we're connected to him first. Then we can love each other. And then he said, listen, if, when, if you love me and each other and the world still hates you, remember they hated me first. Don't get all worked up about that. He reminds them again of the new commandment to love one another. Both times he says this, he's made sure that the measure of their love should be equal to the measure they had been given from him. He said, love each other the way I loved you. So he said, what does that look like? You can go to 1 Corinthians 13 to find out. Many of you know that. They read it almost every wedding. You got two young people, oh, beer goggled eyes looking at each other. Ain't got a clue. Come on, some of you people have married a while, say amen. They make vows till death do us part. And then they read 1 Corinthians 13 about what love is. And the whole time I'm doing the wedding, I'm like, ha, ha, ha. oh, you're going to get a chance to flesh this out in real life. You could get several chances to not remember any wrongs. It might start tomorrow. Caught the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. Paul says this, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith so as to move mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Then he gives the definition. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. And then I love verse 7 because he's like rapid fire. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. So the definition of generous, the dictionary definition of generous is being liberal in giving, the idea of being open-handed, marked by abundance or ample proportions. Jesus told the disciples, I have given you love open-handedly. It, was, it wasn't earned, it was it wasn't dependent on anything that you did. It, it was, it was there, there was no restrictions on it. Jesus wasn't fickle with his love. He didn't, he didn't wake up one morning and not love them as much as they did the day before just because they had done something he didn't like. Love was the motivating factor, the only factor for him coming to earth. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That Jesus will come to the earth, Emmanuel, God with us. So we find Jesus the very living example of perfect love where he could where he could love people beyond anything they could do or say or sin they could commit he could love them he could love them knowing what they would do ah it's easy to love people before you find out what they're capable of 
It's different loving people after you know what they're capable of. Amen? John chapter 13, we find Jesus loving all the disciples, knowing what they were capable of. It is crucifixion we find him loving people, having the brunt of what they're capable of heaped on his shoulders on the cross. He still loved them. So when we talk about generosity, I think the most important thing we can be generous with is that very thing we're talking about. Love. That everything else that we, that we want to define as generous is a result of people actually loving each other. I actually find it a little disheartening when places have to talk about generous in your finances so much because if I've got a harp about finances all the time, about being generous with finances, it might actually be an indication that we don't understand how to be generous with love first. Because how can I love you and not help you out? How could I, uh, let, let me say it like this. I, I think Matthew, I think Matthew wrote the famous, uh, it's in Matthew, the famous quote from Jesus about don't store up treasure for yourself on earth, but store it up in heaven. Some of you remember that? And I think we, I think we got the scripture. He says this, Matthew chapter six, verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither... Moth nor rust destroying where thieves do not break in a steel. Verse 21. This is the one we always like to quote. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So, so we, we misinterpret that to say, to say, okay, almost you can, you can take money and drag your heart with it. But money is actually a revelation of where your heart already is. So watch. Here, here's how it happens. I started thinking about how, how my wife and I, Got together. I didn't buy a ring. Some of you might have done this, but I didn't. I didn't buy a ring. I was going to Shepherd College at the time, and uh, and we happened to work together. And I was doing some not Christian things and going to some not Christian places. I didn't buy a ring and walk into those places thinking I'm gonna find me a girl this fits on. <laughs> I spent good money, and now I'm gonna find me some love. That's illegal, by the way. I did not buy the ring first and then let the ring drag my heart. Come on, are you following me? You can't purchase your way into love. It never works. So I didn't buy a ring, walk into a club and go, hey, lights are down, looks like your fingers are the right size. Does this fit? No. What happened was I saw my wife at the place that we worked at and I went, I'm going to buy her a ring. She got my heart first, and then the money followed. All of it. Oh, you're cheering her. Oh, I get it. She got my heart first. So what happened? I started loving her in a way that I'd never experienced it before. I started loving her more than I loved anybody. I started loving her more than I loved myself. I started loving her in ways that, that Chris had never understood before. So I started loving her. Guess what followed it? All the funds followed it. I found out later that I'm, I'm in love with tools. 
And I sent my wife a meme the other day. It said, I walk around looking like I'm fine, but deep down, I want to buy more tools. (laughs) I've never heard a man say he's got too many tools. I started thinking, I love tools. And the way you know that I love it, love them is because I'm so generous towards them. If you go in the shop, I got tools. They got their own little place and they're, and they got, I just, I just started buying cordless mechanic tools. I was like so excited. I'm putting them out of their own drawer. Here's the problem. If you let money be the only indicator of your generosity, Paul, in his definition of love, said that could be pointless. He said, if you give away everything you have, but you do it without love, if you try to go into a place and give them everything and you don't love them, he said, it's worth nothing. So if I walk into the room and I'm willing to hand a ring to any girl, it doesn't mean anything. But if she's captured all of my attention, then when I pull the ring out, it means something. Do you understand where we're going? So watch this, watch this. The only thing I'll say about money is this now. You can't tithe your way into favor with God. I know you're like, who blesses a tither? I'm not saying he doesn't. But if your heart's not attached to it, it's like putting it into your 401k. Just because you tithe doesn't make you generous. It might just make you consistent. You're like, well, fine, I'll stop giving. Okay, you didn't like it anyway. So when Jesus had the chance to talk to the disciples before he was crucified, he wasn't saying, guys, make sure you get your money together. Make sure you get all your money together because if you pile your money together and you do great things together with your money, everybody will believe you're mine. Nope. He said, if you'll be generous with love the way I was generous with love towards you, then people will believe. Does that include money? Sure it does at some level. I can tell you one thing. I wasn't walking in with a piece of yarn telling my wife I wanted to marry her. Money had to come in there at some point. We're going to need a place to live. We're going to trust Jesus. No, you better get a job, son. (laughs) So in our conversation about generosity all the time, we skip to something that is not a lead indicator, but a lag indicator. It's a, it's a result of love, not the, not the, not the, not that you're generous in and of itself. Because I've seen people give to the church and be nasty to people at the same time. Like we can get into a habit. Oh, it's easy now. We can automate it. You could go online and set it up and you could just give $50 a week. And wouldn't even have to think about it. So then when you're chewing out the person at the post office because your package hadn't arrived. I'm just talking about real things that happen. I'm just talking about real things that happen. I was in the post office the other day and I was like, dear God. What good is it if you tithe them? Because Paul just said it didn't matter. 
If you're willing to chew people up, if you're willing to spit people, if you're willing not to be long-suffering, if you're willing not to be, if you're unwilling to be patient, unwilling to keep no record of wrongs, if you're unwilling to endure with people, if you go ahead and give your money because at the end of the day it won't mean anything. He says it won't mean anything. So what the church has to get right before we get the money right is a generosity that matters. We have to get the heart generosity right. We have to be able to love people beyond what they currently are doing or currently thinking. There was no litmus test with Jesus. Hey, hey, Peter, you want to follow me? Come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Before you follow me, I'd like you to fill out this form. I'd like to know your political viewpoints. I'd like to know your your opinion on a whole bunch of things and make sure this connection is going to work out. No, he said, come follow me. I'll turn you into something you're not. How did Jesus do that? He loved him. He loved him. He loved him. Matter of fact, that's the same thing he's done with everybody in the building. He knew what you were capable of before you you ever knew him, and he loved you anyway. Love is the most important thing we could ever be generous with. A commitment to loving people will result in generous overflowing of all the characteristics of love towards others. So the key then is generosity doesn't pick and choose which characteristics of love we give people. Isn't easy um, to be patient sometimes? but still keep a record of wrong? Come on, you can't trick me. I've been married a long time, and I do it. I'm going to be patient with you today, but I ain't forgot yesterday. You've been working at the same job 10 years. You haven't forgotten one thing that happened 10 years ago. Be patient with the new guy that comes in, but impatient with the person that says something to you 10 years ago. What are we doing? We're picking and choosing which characteristic of love we're going to hand out. Well, the definition of generosity is that it's open-handed in abundance. It doesn't say pick and choose what you want to give people. It says the definition of generosity is that we're given all of it. So the characteristics of love are not debatable. These are all found in Christ's love towards us. The more we have received the generous love of Christ, we can understand how that translates to others. So Christ has been in abundance and ample proportions, in abundance and ample proportions. He's been patient with us. He's been kind to us. Come on, can I get an amen? He has not been envious or boastful to us. He's never been arrogant or rude towards us. He's never insisted on his own way. Listen, he, the God of all the universe, gave you free will to do whatever you want. As a sign of love towards you. He's not standing over going, you have to do this today. I get to do whatever I want. That's crazy. He's never been irritable or resentful. He's never rejoiced in wrongdoing. He's always rejoiced in the truth in me. He's bared all things for me. Come on. He's believed in me. He's hoped for me. He's endured all things for me. He went to the cross and endured all things for me. So which characteristic of love comes easy to you today? Love doesn't flow generously, only focusing on the parts that are easy for us. 
Love flows generously when we give every aspect of it, whether it comes easy or not. Here's what I know. If it wasn't easy for Jesus to go to the cross, it's not going to be easy for me to love certain people. But I'm not allowed to not love them. When Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, he didn't say, hey, I'm going to the cross, but not for that dude. Just go ahead and mark him off on the naughty list. I'm not going to the cross for him. No, he said, I'm, I'm going that no one would perish. So I don't get to pick and choose. I don't get to pick and choose. Love does not pick and choose according to who it's being distributed to. Jesus gave instructions to love each other and everyone else. He used the same word for love to love people. I, listen, he's the same word. He used a verb twice there, John. What happens is that's the verb form of that word. When you get to 1 Corinthians, Peter, or Paul uses the noun. He gives the noun description of what it is. And then Jesus and John is giving the verb of how you live it out. So if we could take Corinthians and flip it before Matthew or John, which you can't do. I mean, it came after it. But if we could, it might help you out a little bit because there's somebody giving you a verbal description of what love is, the noun. And then Jesus is saying, take that and use it as a verb on other people. Okay. This is important. This is important. Because Jesus did say something. Jesus did say something. Remember I told you in John chapter 15, he talked about our relationship to him. I'm the vine, you're the branches. You got to stay connected to me and then you can dish out the love like I loved you. Okay, so that was important. And then he talked about our relationship to each other in John chapter 15 when he repeated what he said in John chapter 13 about love each other as I have loved you. And then people will know. But then in John chapter 15, he adds something. He says, listen, if they hate you, remember that they hated me first. All right. Now, but you have to put that verse in context with everything else he just said, because that's not a fighting verse. I remember quoting that verse before, like, hey man, they hate, they hate me, they hate Jesus. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you're going to hate somebody, you hate Jesus, you hate me. We're going to do something. Jesus made that comment before he went to the cross. When he made the statement, if they hate you, remember they hated me first, wasn't a reason not to love people. It was a reason to love people generously. Because when he went to the cross and people were ridiculing him and beating him, he went to the cross. He said, Father, forgive them. And so well, we've turned that in over the years. Hey, they hate me. I must be doing something right. No, we should be weeping and saying, God, is there a way that I could show them your love? The way Christ did after they hated him. Jesus wasn't saying that in a confrontational voice. He was saying that in a challenging voice. Hey, listen, I'm not giving you a pass if people hate you. I'm telling you if they hate you, love them generously. They hated me and you watched what I did. I went straight to the cross for every one of them. So if they hate you, 
take it to the cross. Because watch, 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 watch. Remember the definition of love that Paul wrote. He said, if you, if you, if you lay down your life without love, it's pointless. But then, but then Jesus says, no greater love has a man that he laid out his life for his brother. He said, if you give everything up out of the, out of the motivating factor of love, then it works. So, are people going to not like you? Absolutely. Do we get to not love them for it? Absolutely not. That's a sign that Christ is in us, that we love the people that don't love us. Like your 16-year-old kid. Yeah. Like when, when they don't think you're a great parent anymore. I'm going to love them. When your neighbor and you don't cut your grass the way they think, I'm going to love them. The coworker that thinks this about you and that, I'm going to love them. The political movement that you don't agree. That was a great segue into my third point. Here we go. Can I just say this really quick? The band's going to come up. I'm going to end with this last point and then I'm going to leave. So before you start throwing rocks, you got to love me, by the way. I think the church has been duped. It's very subtle. We thought we could convince people by arguing. Has any of you ever convinced anybody arguing with them? Just read. Like, if, if you have, you're a magician. We will get in these arguments, right? I mean, I've been in arguments before about whether God is real, about whether he's not real, about politics, about people being right, people being wrong. How could you vote like that? Anybody said that in the last six weeks? How could you vote like that? I don't know. I walked in, checked the box. It was pretty easy. And Satan has convinced us that arguing with people is how you transform somebody's life. I've never argued anybody into heaven. Hey, you know, the devil's getting ready to kill you. Why don't you accept Jesus? And they're like, dude, my life is pretty sweet right now. I have no idea what you're talking about. So you argue, make an argument, make your argument, make your argument. Let me read something to you. Loving generously is the only way that you actually change people. Do you realize that? Jesus didn't argue about the disciple with the disciples. He loved on them. And when he told them to change the world, he said, love people. So Romans chapter 12, verse nine, stand to your feet. We'll end with this. Paul writes this, starts at chapter, chapter 12, verse nine. Let love be genuine. Oh, that's what we've been talking about, isn't it? Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints to seek, to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless those, bless them and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Verse 19. By the way, wasn't that basically the same definition of love of 1 Corinthians 13? Verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Now we're getting back to what Jesus said. If they hated you, if they hate you, remember they hated me. 
Now Paul says, don't avenge yourself. It's not your deal. Don't get back. He says, but leave it to the wrath of God for it is risen. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Verse 20, to the contrary. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing this, man, I love this. Can you put that up there? Verse Verse 20. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, is everybody reading what I'm reading? Now, Paul here is quoting an old proverb. You know what I started thinking when I read this? If I'm thinking one thing and you heap burning coals on my head, I might be apt to change my mind. I mean, I think burning coals would work. Hey, listen, I know what you're thinking now, but I'm getting ready to heat burning coals on your your head. You might want to change your mind. I changed. Whatever you want. Paul uses the illustration, for by doing so, you will heat burning coals on his head. He's saying, you want to change somebody's mind? Love them. Me and you again. That's fine. You want to change somebody's mind? Love them. If you would say, we've been duped into thinking politics will change people's minds. Come on. What has that ever worked? We've been duped to thinking arguing about all this stuff will change somebody's mind. When Jesus said, if you're connected to me and, and the love that I have for you can flow out of you, you can actually change people with that love. When Jesus came to the earth, he didn't come arguing about anything. He came loving people. When Paul came to evangelize the whole world, he didn't say, I'm going to come in great arguments. No, he said, I'm going to love on people. I'm going to love on people. The way this church can be generous and change the whole community is when each one of us walk out there and love people, not according to any race or creed or economic status or whether they believe politically with us or not, but then when we walk out, we heap love on them and they see Jesus for who he really is. That's how we change people. Amen? Father, we thank you this morning. God, you have set the example for us. Jesus loved us when we were unlovable. So, Lord, I pray by your Holy Spirit, that same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, would dwell in us to the point that we could go out from this building and love everybody. Everyone, Lord, whether they agree with us or don't agree with us, whether they're whether they're in the life of sin or not, Lord, we pray that we'd keep love on everybody we run into, that we'd be marked by generosity, not by one thing, but generous in everything. And Lord, we pray that it would change the hearts of men, that your love through us would change people. We thank you for it today, and we are expecting it this week. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Come on, could you give him praise and honor today? He's good. Amen. Hey, listen, you can practice it immediately while you're leaving. Love on each other. Let's encourage somebody. We'll see you back here next week.